Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. We now join the theatre's associate director and your host, Hamish Peary. Sue Glover was born in Edinburgh and went to school and university there. She writes for TV, radio and theatre. Her plays have been produced and translated abroad in several different languages. Her work for theatre includes Sacred Hearts, Artist Unknown, The Bubble Boy, The Straw Chair, Bondages, which was hailed as a contemporary Scottish classic, was produced at the Traverse Theatre in 1991. Shetland Saga was produced at the Traverse Theatre in the year 2000. Her first play, The Seal Wife, is set in the fishing village of Anstruther, which is where she now lives. And we are really excited to say that Sue is going to be coming back to the Traverse Theatre to write one of our dream plays for this year's 2012 Edinburgh Festival. Sue Glover, I just want to say thank you so much for being with us today for our Travcast. Thank you. <laughs> and my first question, um, sort of almost to go boringly back to the beginning, if you could, when was the fir- can you remember when you first wrote, or when you first started to write, or think about writing? I, well, writing for plays, I'd done some writing before that, but I'm not a writer of anything else, really, except plays. And I was trying to do a radio, and I just... I was just knocked out by the way the dialogue comes with the hooks and the eyes and what you can't get in and what you have to sidetrack till later. And I I just loved it as as soon as I... And I was lucky... Very lucky because that first attempt at a radio play was a a good idea, <laughs> and um, b it was accepted by Radio Scotland, um, and you know that doesn't always happen. And the second radio play was shite, <laughs> and they turned it down <laughs> very, very understandably. But I still love, I, I love radio. I love radio. It's, it's quite different, actually, from from the other two, from theatre and telly. And the nuisance is, if you have a wonderful idea for radio and radio turn it down, you, it doesn't work for anywhere else. It m- mostly doesn't work for anywhere else. You can adapt something for radio, but the other way around, not so good. And why is that? Because the idea is so, sp- so specific and withdrawn uh, and minimal? I don't... Because can't the idea... I would always imagine that an idea could be developed in a different way and altered. Yes, you think, yes. But you found that actually that's not true. Well, I think actually what I mean is once you've um, spent a long time on the outline and thought about it, then you've thought about it in a sort of radio concrete and it's very difficult to turn into something else. Anyway, after... They've taken months and months, because they do nowadays take months and months to say yes or no. You can hardly remember <laughs> what the idea was, you know, and you're off it. 
um, but and I was also lucky because radio in, when I started was a much simpler process getting sending something in and getting it read seems to have been better then than it is now um, and you think that was because there were, there were less people writing or the system was more open? Well, there, there were more, more slots right, yeah. for drama. Um, and I think possibly Radio Scotland had more autonomy then. Uh, might be wrong. It's a really interesting thing that you said at the beginning of, the, of that sentence when you started talking about plays. You said the hooks and the eyes. Mm. And I'd love to know more about what the hooks and the eyes are. Well... It's just if you you start off a conversation, but if you want to say certain, if you want to get some things in, you're going to have to move it in a certain way. But it's got to be a dramatically plausible way. But also you can't let it go on. I don't know, I just find you couldn't let it go on because you're going into bits that aren't aren't relevant to that scene, maybe not relevant to that play. I mean, you can't just sit and make people talk. It's quite good fun, but it's everything. I just think it's, it's brilliant. Everything in a play has to do several tasks. And that's why I think it, it beats poetry hands down. <laughs> just, I mean... Uh, it has to give you the time and the place and the atmosphere and the character and the plot. And that's an amazing amount of things for a speech to do. And it's tremendous. And, it, and even a four-line speech can be, you know, it can say so much. I know there are others that maybe look as if they don't say anything. And actually... I was thinking today, I wonder how, I wonder about pauses and exclamation marks and question marks, and I think we should be able to put them in scripts instead of writing a line of stage direction. I think a character can answer with a question mark on the page, um, but I've learned that that's not Easily understood for some reason. You did you know? that in um, the Shetland Saga. Did I? I don't remember. I don't remember. It actually. made complete sense. Yeah. I remember that. Obviously, it made complete sense. But well, it just it seems a better way to put dialogue down actually than explaining what a character should be doing. Um. There's something exciting for the production team. I always find it as director and for the actors to be just given that question mark or that gap or that pause, then it's something for us to interpret. Yes. But then some people don't like being given too much. And I have been told that I give far too much in the way of stage directions. Right. <laughs> and I keep thinking, oh, I'll cut down, I'll cut down. And I start off with a draft and think, well, I better cut down these afterwards because I'm writing them for me, partly. And then I think, oh, sod it, I'll just... I'll just leave them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll is just that? leave them in and annoy them. <laughs> is that a, is that for the control, or is that because that's just how you see it? So why can't they see it like that? Um, 
Well, I know perfectly well you don't have any you don't have any real control because they're gonna, you know, they're gonna do what they think is best, and and lots of people don't read stage directions anyway. But um, well, I th I I don't know. Um, I'm not very sure. My very first play that. The seal, my very first theatre play was The Seal Wife, and the stage directions um, in the first act were abominable. And right. I didn't realise that until... Uh, it wasn't done until years later when um, Jenny Lee did it down in London, and she said, I want you to rewrite all the stage directions in Act 1. You don't need to do it in Act 2, leave Act 2 alone, but I want you to do them in Act 1. And the difference was enormous, and the reason was that I was learning how to find my way around the stage, because I, I was one of these people that came to theatre never having, <laughs> not having been to the theatre a lot, and not, not having any um, acting or, or, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't an actor, I'd never been a director or, a, or anything like that. So, I was sort of panicking and one, I was literally bumping into things, bumping into other characters, try, just trying to work out how it would go. Um, and so the second draft, which is the published one, is much better, much better. And that's, I think that's an instance of a, of a very canny director giving you very good advice. Um, and I was very grateful for it. And were you able to see it as good advice at the time? Yes, while I was doing it, while I was really... Yeah, when you yeah. got that advice, did you think, yes. oh, I mean, all right, bossy boots, oh, or do no, you think, no, no. you know what, that's a good idea? Yeah, I, I, I was... Uh, did have egg over my face while I was ploughing through that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a great human being for admitting it to me now and giggling. <laughs> Listeners, if you could see the warmth on Sue's face, <laughs> you would be heartened to the truth. Now, the really interesting there that you said about not having had a lot of theatre experience or seen a lot of theatre before. So when were your, what, were, what were your early theatre experiences before you started writing? Well, they were very sparse. Um, I saw... I actually saw um, Pinter's uh, The Caretaker... I saw the first production that came to Edinburgh. I was still at school, and a more savvy school friend had taken me along. I think it was the Lyceum, but it might have been the King's. I don't remember. And it was just so extraordinary. I loved, I absolutely loved it. I still, you know, phrases like Aphromosia teak still <laughs> stir me and remind me of that play. And I remember sneaking back the next night on my own, um, going up to the cheap seats right up at the top to watch it again. And it, I didn't have any ideas about about theatre or, uh, you know, I just thought it was so fascinating. And I actually saw the birthday party in what was then the Gateway um, only a few years later. And I think, I think that must have been the first time it came... The Gateway was then was kind of... I don't think it was an amateur production. It seemed a good production, 
Um, but it was extraordinary that it was on in the gateway because that was still a Church of Scotland theatre. Oh, really? Yeah. The birthday um, party. Mm. So... How did it make you feel going to the theatre? Well, um, just the same as now. It's When it's wonderful, it's great. When it's not, you know, you come out with all your cringe muscles have been exercised to the hill. I mean... I suppose that's not very... No, I, I just love when it's really good. The last... I was lucky enough to see the film, you know, the, the relayed version of um, uh, the Goldini with James Corden in it. What was it called? Um, Two Governors. Uh, yeah. Well, I saw that in the cinema in Dundee, and it would have been lovely to have seen it but I mean, just amazing. That's brilliant. Uh, that you amazing. As, mm. as a sort of a as a as a theatre professional and someone with so much theatre experience, still got that same experience from seeing it through the. Well, because it was so. Bec- uh, anyway, I was always a James Corden fanatical. Really, fan. I, absolute, I wouldn't have oh, thought that. I just well, I apologise for not thinking. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> just adore. <laughs> what is it about James Corden that you adore? I don't know. I think that's what. He is. He's just somebody... You know, there are people like that that part of their talent is that you want to... that you're for them the minute they go on stage. I mean, Russell Hunter was like that. When Russell came on, you knew everything was going to be great, even if the play wasn't. And is that because him, him as a performer, or as you say, it's more him as a personality? I don't know. It's everything... I mean, just... The complete, uh, the actor with the extra with that behind charisma the, the, that becomes yeah. a bit more than that. Yeah, yeah. But then that's so the star actor. That's what that's about, isn't it? When you get yes, but then Russell wasn't a star. He was he was great. Uh, well, maybe he was. I don't know. I don't know what. I hope James Corden isn't going to become a star. That would be awful. Um, but uh, so hmm. going back to that. So you saw these pinter plays, and then what made you go, okay, I want to write this? No, no, I know. Well, I did. There was a little shard of confidence at the back of my mind that thought, you know, I, I, I'd like to. But uh, you know, pigs might fly, and I don't. I'm very, pretty timid, and I went bumbling on with my own life, and I didn't write. And t- what were you doing at the time? If you don't mind me asking. Well, I was. Going to university, going to France. Oh, what did pair. you study, if you don't mind me asking? I, uh, oh, I studied French and English. And the French was... Actually, they were both pretty rubbish, quite honestly. When you spend two whole terms doing the first folio and the second folio and the third folio of Romeo, Romeo and Juliet, you know, you might never, ever want to do Shakespeare again. It was That was very, very... Um, non-theatre. It was a non-theatrical experience. There were one or two brilliant lectures, but uh, no, it was actually when I was in France, I went to Montpellier University for a bit and that was much more exciting because, I mean, they just dived in and they really taught, you know, they really delivered stuff. Um, 
interesting. I find, I, but I didn't, I didn't enjoy university much, actually. <laughs> but that's probably my, my fault, you know. But you have such an. It's interesting because you seem to have such an interest in learning and things outside. So it's interesting that you didn't enjoy the act. Is it because it was too constrained the act of learning? Or? I don't know. I think it was. I was probably a, a warrior and worked too hard, actually. Right, and weren't able to enjoy what was going on around you. Well, maybe, yeah. Um. So back to that step. So university thought you just carried on doing it. Carried on university, with your life, work, you marriage, and then, kids. And then, so when did the writing start? What? How old were you um, when you first? Well, I was probably about twenty-seven or eight, quite late starter, and um, was writing for the local paper and stuff, trying to get... I was no good at short stories. No good. N I realise now they were really synopsis for right. plays. Oh, did you ever write those plays? Well, uh, one of... There's one called The Doll's House, which was a radio play, which for ages I thought, must write that short story, must write that short story. But I, I'm not a short story writer. They're very difficult to do. Um... Unless you're Alice Munro <laughs> or somebody. But, um, no, it was... I think I knew I wasn't actually good enough at poetry or, you know, other stuff. And I, and I had a friend who, who admitted to me she was writing a novel, and I was so angry and jealous because I knew she had this bit of stuff that she could go and go on with, you know, she had this novel lying on her desk and she could keep going back and doing it. That's something to do, and, a commitment in her life. And, a lot um, you know, so. But it wasn't until the dialogue thing, I was going to this writer's class and um, some, I, I don't know, I said I would write a play. And it was a, a, a good it was um, an idea that fell. It was about um, a night watchman in a school, and one of my children was telling me this story of <laughs> coming home and telling me. Um, it was a gift. Um, I mean, it was. He even had... He, th this night watchman even cycled to work with his wooden leg, but I didn't... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, there's, the there's times you have to drop back. <laughs> <laughs> so. How do you... When you're writing, how do you, dare I say, how do you feel when you write? Do you have like an emotional experience for you with it? Well, uh, most of the time it's, it's hell. Intellectual exercise. Most of the time, it's really hell. And then, uh, um, now and again, there are bits. Very, very occasionally, stuff just comes out <laughs> in blighted style. You know, um, mostly. You're the only, the nicest bit is when you get to the end of the first draft and you can read it through, and you, if you're lucky, you realise, well, it's it is there. Um, and sometimes bits that you just go on and on and on at turn out to be, and you think this will never, this will never have any life in it. And um, I can think of one scene. I thought that of, and it's actually quite good, and I'm not going to tell you which one it is. Everyone look out for it. <laughs> Answers but, on a postcard. Um, 
Just because we're sadly running out of time. Yeah. What um, you've had, you've been at the Traverse uh, several times with your work. Mm-hmm. What does, what do you see the Traverse as? How what is it? What are your memories of it and your thoughts of it? And then how does it feel to be coming back here at the festival this year? Um. Well, I loved the old Traverse. Um, I can even remember the first one, but I. I I loved the bar in the old Travis because you could really talk about theatre in it. You can't talk in the bar in this Travis. It's too noisy. Well, in the evening it is. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I've just seen lots of great plays here, right from the old days in the, pleasant, in the grass market to here. Well, it is, it's kind of centre of Scottish theatre. I remember bringing French theatre people here during the festival and, you know, they were, they thought it was a wonderful place. I remember there, well, we came downstairs to the bar and everything, and everything was very busy, and then we went into Theatre One. I, I remember their eyes, you know, I remember they, they sort of did a, Vote fast! Gosh, this is the theatre. You know, they were. Um, they thought it was a great place. I, I it's great. I, I think it's good that we've got this bit of theatre land here, and it's very nice now. The building sites have moved out of it. I can't thank you enough for spending twenty minutes <laughs> opening your heart <laughs> in such a beautiful and warm way, and I'm really excited. One of your shows is going to be at the festival this year thank you so much sue thank you thanks we hope you enjoyed this podcast from the traverse theater edinburgh For more information, please log on to www.traverse.co.uk.